Proverbs chapter 14. We're moving into chapter 14 today, Proverbs 14. And we'll take verses 1 through 10 of the chapter. Proverbs 14. Let's start in verse number 1. The Bible says, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. He that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. In the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. A faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A scorner seeketh wisdom, and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. Go from the presence of a foolish man, when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Let's pray again. Our Father, we ask your blessings on this message, Lord. Direct it to hearts, Lord. Uh, give me the proper words to say, Lord, not my words, but Lord, that you would guard my mouth carefully, that I would say only that which you would have me to say. Teach me, Lord, as you do each person here. Stir my heart. Change me, Lord. Conform me more to Christ. I pray tonight that for just a few moments here, we would set our attention upon Christ, upon his throne, heavenly realm, forget about the earthly, forget about that which weighs us down, that which burdens or troubles us tonight. We'd give all that to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, chapter 14. There's a theme that runs in this chapter, and it's foolishness and wisdom, as with much of the Proverbs. The wise person and the fool. We're seeing as we go through Proverbs a pretty stark contrast between the wise person and the fool, don't we? Uh, the wise person uh, seeks after knowledge, seeks after understanding. The fool isn't interested. The fool simply goes back and does what he did before. And I keep, my son will tell you as we correct him, I point out when he's acting a fool. You know what that means? That means he's not learning. It means he's not. He's being corrected, and sometimes, you know, with the kids, they get corrected, and what do they do? They go do it again. They're foolish. I was foolish as a young person. I would hear, and I wouldn't heed. I wouldn't listen. I, I would hear in Christian school. I would hear in church. I would hear from my parents. I go back and do the same foolish thing over and over and over again until one day God woke me up from my foolishness. I said, what am I doing? I'm not growing. I'm not learning. Life is difficult. You know why? We talked about this a few weeks ago. The way of the transgressor is hard. I learned that. And I ran back to the Lord. Proverbs 14, verse 1. Let's start there. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Every wise woman builds her house. This is not the actual building of the house. This is the household. Uh, a wise woman sees the affairs of her household. Uh, I'm not saying... Uh, it's a sin for a woman to work outside the home, but if she can't, if she doesn't have to do that, why would she do that? When she has a ministry and a work right there in the home, children understand that women women are influencing their children for Christ. Uh, 
my greatest influence, my greatest, I've had so many good pastors and so many good teachers in the Christian school and Sunday school teachers, and uh, I, I had just so many, so many solid teachers, and the greatest things I've learned were from my grandmother and my mother. Uh, when I was a young kid, my mom had to work, and so we were, uh, we spent a lot of time at the grandma's house. Grandma lived just down the street from us, and uh, she would take us to school in the morning. She was the secretary at our Christian school, and so when school was over, we'd go back to her house until our parents got off work and picked us up. And normally they were there around dinner time, so a lot of times we just had dinner there at grandma's house, and I got to learn from my grandmother. There were times that she'd even pull us aside into her bedroom and just talk to us about the Lord, talk to us about salvation, talk to us about the scriptures. I learned so much. She gave into my life, my sister's life, so much by her example, by her witness. My mother, uh, as time went on, grew to where she was disabled and unable to work. And so we saw her all the time. I look back now as an adult and some of the greatest lessons I live by, I learned from my mother. She was a great example of Christian love, hospitality, kindness. One of the most gentle people I know, I have ever known. A wise woman builds her house. She tends to it. She gives into the, into the, the lives of her children. She pours herself into their life. A, a father has an impact. A father is to lead, to guide the house. The father should be the spiritual leader of the home. Uh, my wife doesn't do family devotions. I do, because that's my responsibility. But a mother gives so much to a home. And a wise woman builds that house up, builds those children up in the Lord, teaches them to walk with God. Nobody has a greater influence on children than their mother, I promise you, either for good or for bad. A mother has an influence I think even today, in the world we live in today, where women tend to work outside the home, I think the, the truth still stands that women have a greater impact on their home than men do, in the sense of spending time with the kids, being part of their lives. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the solemn word of my good mother. I agree. Billy Graham said, the influence of a mother upon the lives of her children cannot be measured. They know and absorb her example and attitude when it comes to questions of honesty, temperance, kindness, and industry. Kids are watching their mother. John Wesley said, I learned more about Christianity from my mother than from all the theologians in England. That's true for me too. Most of, you say, you know, Pastor, you have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, about it. A lot of what I have about Christian living comes from watching the examples of my mother and grandmother, what godly people they were. And they lived that example I've told you before uh, about my grandmother. What a godly woman. She just, I don't think she had a mean bone in her body. I don't think she, I don't think she could be mean to people, but there was those times, two different times I mentioned before, where she had a disagreement with the pastor. And you know how that usually goes in, a, in the average church, right? They get mad at the pastor, they go home, talk about the pastor, leave the church, find another church, they get mad at that pastor too. Grandma didn't do that. She went to the same church from when she got saved in 1979 until she had to come live with us when she was dying in the year 2000. 
She went to the same church the whole time. She had several pastors there, two of them. She got angry with them. And they were wrong. They made mistakes. And Grandma went. And she told them both. <laughs> in no uncertain terms. Right in their face. You're wrong. Biblically, you're wrong. I'm not going to get into what they did, but or what they did or said, but it wasn't doctrinal. But she told them. She, she, she let them have it. She met with them privately, and she told them. She was mad. She was offended. That was wrong. And then she left. And she went home, and she never spoke to us about it. I was a grown-up before I ever heard about it. I heard about it from my mother after she was dead, actually. She didn't go home and badmouth them. Didn't leave the church. She expressed her disagreement and her anger, but she was a godly woman. She wasn't going to leave the church over. She wasn't going to badmouth the pastor over it. What an example of godliness. The fact that we never knew about that growing up. She believed in doing things biblically. She didn't let anger guide her or frustration. Even when she's mad at us, there was always Bible verses about why we were in trouble or why she had to spank us. Even in those times, I knew that she loved me. If you're a young lady here who's not yet a mother, you could be a mother one day. If you are a mother, you are the greatest influence your child will ever have for the gospel. I believe that. They'll watch you, they'll listen to you, and they'll copy the things that you do. So love Jesus and follow Jesus if you want your kids to do that. A wise woman prays for her children and teaches them godly character lessons, both by her behavior as well as in teachable moments throughout the day. She builds her house by her industry. She has a strong work ethic, and her children follow her example. Example: Laziness is not a trait of a godly woman. Understand that. Laz Listen, raising children is not for lazy people. It's not. It's hard work. When people in our society today is all about women working outside the home and this, the, the, the oppression of women we hear about. Someone says, I'm a housewife. Is that all you do? All? Taking care of the children? Feeding, clothing, laundry, cleaning the house? Taking care of the husband? My wife will tell you, just another baby in the house? She takes care of me as much as she does the kids. If it wasn't for her, I'd probably sit in a dark room with a half-eaten peanut butter jelly sandwich and not know what to do with myself. She takes care of me. I'd be in trouble. Now, women are a woman who's dedicated to her home, building her home, is just, a hard, is just as hard at work as a man at his job is if she's doing it right. Don't listen to society that women need to work outside the home to be successful or meaningful or to have purpose. That's nonsense. Purpose is found in Christ and in Christ's assigned roles. Now, sometimes it's necessary. I understand that. There are exceptions, but in general, remember we said this morning, our, our society is casting off God's design for marriage, for gender, and for roles within the family. Don't give in to that. 
What God has set up is the ideal situation always. Don't rebel against it. My wife worked a job when we had no kids. And still, when she worked the job, she worked harder than me. Because she still handled the house, the cooking, the laundry, and all that kind of stuff. Praise the Lord that since we've had kids, he's allowed us to stay home, or her to stay home, to raise the kids. Actually, he allowed her to come home from work to take care of my mom for a year before she died. And then we got the kids just about a week before mom died, we got the kids. And God has blessed us. But she is as hard or harder a worker than I am. And I praise her for that. A wise woman builds her home. A wise woman, her diligence and prudence is also a, a contribution to building her home. She's diligent and prudent. Love, care, and tenderness built her house. Her presence and just being with her children, reading, playing, talking to them, that builds the house. You realize you're, you're building your house. You're building your house when you're reading to your children, playing with your children, talking to your children. You're contributing to them. I love the sound of babies crying in church, don't you? This morning, people kept looking at them. Don't worry about it. They're doing what babies do. We do what big people do. That's all right. I love them. They're great. Deborah's building the house for those children right now by having them here in church. That's wonderful. By contrast with her, the foolish woman tears down her house. She does this through laziness and attentiveness to her kids and husband, looking out for her own comforts and wants ahead of the needs of her family. Those women exist, seeking their own good, seeking what they want, not the good of their household. I know mothers who have spent very little time with their children, even gone for weeks at a time, leaving older children to raise younger children. And then they get old and the kids are gone and moved out and have other, their own kids. Why don't they come see me? Why don't they want to be around me? You know why? Because you're a foolish woman who tore down her house. You didn't build it. You didn't build it. The foolish woman will find, will find that one day her children grow up to not respect her and not love the Lord. And often they'll follow her example. You reap what you sow. That's especially true in your family. A mother who spends 20 years making her kids feel unimportant will one day seem unimportant to them. But a mother who pours her life into her children. Let me tell you, that's a godly woman. That's a, a woman who will reap the benefits of that. We were able to, praise the Lord, take care of my mom in her last year. And really for several years before that, we would go to her house and I think you have to clean her house sometimes, right? Took her to the grocery store, saw to her needs. She was wheelchair bound. That last year she became bed bound. And I'm trying to think of the right way to say it. My mom reaped what she sowed for so many years taking care of other people, welcoming other people into her home, feeding other people. She took care of my grandmother and my great-grandmother in their dying days. She reaped what she sowed. She poured into my life love and prayer and godliness. So when she got to her infirm days, there was no question of a nursing home. 
There was this person who had poured into my life and I wanted to pour into her life. That's what happens with a godly woman. Women, build your house in godliness and diligence and love and you will reap that which you sow. You, you tear it down in laziness, in attentiveness and ungodliness, you'll reap also what you sow. So sow good seeds. Deborah's the ant, but she's sowing seeds. Sow good seeds. David, you guys have little kids. Sow good seeds. We want to sow good seeds. You know why? Because we're going to reap one day. I want to reap a good harvest. Amen. Verse 2, he that walketh in his uprightness feareth the Lord, but he that is perverse in his ways despiseth him. Do you fear the Lord? One way to demonstrate that is to walk uprightly. Walk uprightly. Be righteous. Have character. We talked about that this morning. The need for godly Christian character. The city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You want to you be a city on a hill? You want to be a light in this dark world? Live righteously. It'll set you apart. But you hide that light. You look like the darkness around you. You're going to make no difference for Christ. No difference for Christ. When we walk uprightly, we demonstrate that we have respect for God's law and love for God. Listen, when you respect someone, you follow their directions, don't you? You listen to them. I remember in school, I had certain teachers I respected and certain teachers I didn't respect. I'm not making a comment. I think I was wrong to disrespect any of them. But that's the way it was. Those I respected, I tended to listen to and to obey. Those I didn't, I tended to disobey and argue back a lot. If we're not walking in holiness, what is that saying about our love for God? We don't respect him. If we don't walk in uprightness and holiness. Those who walk in perverseness despise the Lord. They despise his law, they show that in their action. A criminal just shows disdain for the law, doesn't he, when he breaks the law. All these thefts and smash and grab, robbery. these people have no respect for the law. You ever drive around, it blows my mind, driving around town, people just go right through the red light right in front of you. No, I have no respect for the law. So it is for the sinner. He has no respect for the law of God. Our lives preach the truth about what we think about God. We can say all day, I love God, I love God, I love Jesus. The big news is that Taylor Swift concert, right? By the way, it's a little advertising. If you want to go with Tatsuo, he'll be out there Monday and Tuesday for sure. I plan on going with him on Tuesday to do some preaching out there. I was watching an interview she did about LGBT stuff. And she talked about how wrong it is, how wrong it is to be against them, how that's not Christian. I'm a Christian, that's not Christian. She's preaching to me what she believes about God. She doesn't respect him. She doesn't love him. You cannot love God and love that which God hates. God is holy and righteous and purely holy. Not like you and me, like we can do good things. He is pure holiness. 
pure holiness. Any holiness you and I have, we receive from him. You cannot love God and love that which God hates. You can't. You're lying if you say that you do. Do you love God? Then walk in uprightness, Christian. Walk in his law. Walk righteously. You walk in perverseness and dishonesty. You don't love God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Very simple. If you love Jesus, you will want to obey Jesus. If you don't seek to obey him, church, we don't love him. Let's draw the line in the sand right now. How we live speaks about our love for Jesus Christ. Don't tell me, Pastor, I love Jesus, and then live in drunkenness, fornication, adultery. Don't stand at that perverse concert and tell me you love Jesus. Don't do it. Don't do it. Walk in righteousness and tell me you love Jesus. You won't have to. I'll know that you do. You'll know that I do. The if in that verse is so important because it lays it bare. If you truly love Christ, you'll obey Christ. If you refuse to obey Christ, I don't care what you say with your mouth. I don't care. You're lying. A person who walks in iniquity has no love for the Savior. Christ is holy. In fact, he says, be holy for I am holy. Are we not being conformed to the image of Christ? But how can we be anything but holy? We talked about it, I think it was last week, week before last. There is, we're to follow peace with all men and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You, you understand that? Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Because holiness is the result of our salvation. It's the fruit of our salvation. Don't walk in perversity and tell me you're a Christian. We have too much of that in our society. Too many churches are filled with this nonsense. I showed uh, Jason a video of a church in Bakersfield. VBS for their kids. When I first showed it to him, I think the first thing he said was, is that, a, is, that a, is that a rock concert? I said, no, it's a church. It's a church. Oh, they had lots of kids. Big church. Several thousand people. And they had red and blue and green flashing lights. And they had... Balloons flying around, and they were shooting off confetti cannons. And I thought, what does this have to do with Jesus? Our kids need to be taught to love Jesus. Listen, I came through that kind of church. Not to that extreme, I guess. We were smaller, but I came through the youth group. I came, I was never taught to love Jesus. I was taught to obey my parents. I was taught to not kiss my girlfriend. I was taught not to hold hands behind the building. I was taught to save myself from I was taught all those things, but never the foundational thing that brings those together, that is to love Jesus Christ. Because if I had been taught to love Jesus Christ, I would do all those other things. Because I'd be like Joseph, right? When Potiphar's wife's trying to seduce Joseph, what did he say? He's like, I can't do this. My youth pastor told me not to. No. He said, how can I do this and sin against God? If we teach our kids to love God, the rest of that will come easy to them, won't it? Because they'll love God. We're teaching all the outward stuff as if the outward stuff is the important stuff. But you can do the outward stuff and not be a Christian. 
I know a lot of really good Catholics who have saved themselves from marriage. It's not going to get them to heaven. Loving Jesus, though, will result in our young people living a life that pleases Jesus. They don't need a party in vacation Bible school. They need Jesus. It broke my heart to say, and there are a thousand other churches, some in that city, some in our area, who do the exact same thing. Because they want to attract people. If we just try to attract them to our building, then we can give them the gospel. First of all, you're going to keep them with what you catch them with. So catch them with the gospel. If I need to make myself look worldly to get you to love Jesus, I'm just not going to do it. I think the Holy Spirit is strong enough to reach whomever he wants to reach. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When you turn to something other than the gospel to reach people, you turn to a lesser thing. That's the power of God. That's a tangent. I apologize for that. Where am I at in my notes here? Don't tell me you love Christ and skip church. Don't tell me you love Christ and live with somebody out of wedlock. Don't tell me you love Christ and gossip or be a backbiter. We've got to get a control of this church. Our lives need to match what our mouths are saying. I told you guys this morning, right? We preach every Saturday at Wilson Park, don't we? Then I go to the store and I see somebody from the park and I recognize him right away. We made eye contact at Albertsons. I really think he recognized me too. Do you think how I live my life at Albertsons is going to affect my preaching to him if he sees me cussing at the cashier? Yes, sir. Or buying a bunch of liquor? Or cigarettes or anything? Do you think if, I, if, if I'm acting inappropriately, if I'm not conducting myself as a Christian, do you, what's he, he going to think next time he sees me in the park preaching the gospel? What a hypocrite. I'm not going to listen to that guy. Man, that woke me up the other day when I saw him there. I thought, man, you got to be careful. This is a small community here. You're going to see people that you're preaching the gospel to. We need to live accordingly. Because they're going to judge Jesus by his followers. They're going to judge Christ by, uh, they're going to judge the gospel we preach by the life that we live when we're not preaching the gospel. So be careful. You don't know who's watching you at any given time. If you love Christ, demonstrate that by obeying him. You disobey those you don't love or respect. Your life, church, my life, will be honest about my true love for Christ. Even if my mouth lies about it, my life will tell the story. Your life will tell the story. Verse 3. In the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. The tongue is often referred to as a sword. This rod of pride is spoken, what spoken words is what it is. Spoken words which hurt or wound others. The lips of a wise man preserve them from this rod of pride. A wise man controls his tongue to not cause injury or offense to others. If you can't control your mouth, let me say this a different way. When you get mad, if you're trying to hurt somebody's feelings or offend them, you're wielding this sword wrong. You're a fool. 
A wise man doesn't want to cause offense, doesn't want to cause hurt. A lot of times we get angry, we get mad, and we cause hurt we can't undo later. You know why? Because we're foolish. A wise man, a wise woman controls their tongue. Do you have yours under control? Do I have mine? There's, ask my wife. I, I don't mind being fully honest with you guys. There's times I say things I shouldn't say. You know why? Because I was mad. I wanted to make her mad. That's not right. That's not right. I need to be wise and control that. When I speak out of turn, when I speak in a way that's going to hurt her, I know it's going to hurt her, I am a fool. A wise man controls this tongue. Verse 4. Where no oxen are, the crib is clean, but much increase is by the strength of the ox. There's no mess or disorder when no work is being done. That's what he's saying. Cattle bring a good deal of mess with them, but there's good that comes from that mess, right? With the strength of the ox comes increase in provision. There's a good principle for us to learn here. Mess brings growth. It's not clean looking, but it's beneficial. We're so tempted, I think, in our day and age with social media to clean ourselves up, right? Put our best foot forward. We try to, try to pretend like we are somebody we're not. We have it all together. And then we somehow carry that over to the church. This place is not a place for us to pretend we have it all together. This is a family, and we need to be honest with one another. Say, but my life is a mess, Pastor. Right. And growth only comes through messes. You can't have clean growth. You want to see sanctification in your life? We're going to see the mess too. But that's okay. And you might see the mess in my life. And vice versa. You know what that means? That means we're growing. That means we're learning. That means that there's, there's, there's provision coming in our lives. There's, there's, there's uh, I'd ask you, but you don't know what I'm trying, what I'm trying to think of. Well, there's, I'll say growth. There's growth in our lives. It's messy, the Christian life. Sanctification is messy. Sometimes there's two steps forward, one step back. That's okay. No one's going to judge you for the mess. All we're going to do is help you clean it up. As long as you promise to help me clean mine up. Because that's what we do for one another. The problem with legalism. <laughs> I came from legalistic churches. Everybody's had to pretend. Pastors looked so sleek and debonair. A lot of them are pedophiles. We're covering up for pedophiles. Sunday school teacher with his nice suit and big Bible. Oh, he looked good. He had a porn addiction and beat his wife. But you know what? The church didn't care. Just keep looking good. Keep wearing the suit. Keep carrying that nice, beautiful, big Bible. Have your family look like you guys have it all together. I don't care if you go home and beat them later. Just look like you have it all together here. It was all about the outside. I've told the story before. I was in youth group. I wasn't saved yet, I don't think, but I wore a suit, carried a Bible, asked a lot of questions. I was like the star of the youth group. I mean, they loved me. The teacher used me as an example. Be like, be like Rick. Rick was addicted to pornography. Terribly disrespectful to my mother and father. Abusive to my sister. 
Never read my Bible. Never pray unless I happen to be in a class or a church. Never thought about God at all throughout the week. But they never cared. Because so I'd get up and put a little sermon together. I look back now at some of my old sermons when I was 16, 17. I think, man, I'm, I was a heretic. I didn't know the Bible. But that's okay, because on youth night, it looked good. Here's a nice, fine young man to be the, the poster child for the youth group. And how wonderful. Look, look at this. He's got it all to, I had nothing together. But nobody cared to check or ask. Long as I looked good. Long as I looked good, they didn't care. That's legalism. Clean the outside of the cup, but the inside is full of rottenness and filth. Church, clean the inside of the cup, and it will automatically clean the outside. But if you clean the outside and the inside is full of filth, you're going to stand before Christ one day. And you can fool me, and I can fool you, and I can fool her, and she can fool me. But Christ knows every bit of my heart and your heart. What a foolish thing to do, to clean the outside of the cup and leave the inside filthy. Verse 5, a faithful witness will not lie, but a false witness will utter lies. A faithful and honest witness can't even be coerced into a lie. A false witness will lie without any coercion. Both flow from the nature of the person. A person of poor character can't tell the truth, and a person of upright character will always be honest. I remember as a boss at the hospital having people work for me. And they had poor character. I mean, just poor moral character. We're Christians, but... They would lie about things they didn't even have to lie about. Like something wasn't done, and it wasn't their job to do it. And they lied and said, I was so busy, I couldn't get this done. I watched the tapes, I'm like, you sat there all night watching your phone. I'd be like, why did you lie? You didn't have to. I wasn't mad. You didn't even have to do it. So anything happened that was questionable with them. They tell me, oh, here's, here's what happened. I was, I can't believe you. You're a liar. I, I have to assume that you did what they said you did because I can't believe what you say. I try to keep, teach my kids that. They'll lie. And then later on, I didn't do it. I'm not guilty. I'd like to believe you, but you know what? You've set a precedent of lying to me. I can't believe you. Have character and be honest. An honest person is honest even to their own hurt. Yes. Verse 6. A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. But knowledge is easy unto him that understandeth. This is a proud, self-conceited, and profane person, the scorner. They may seek wisdom, but they can't find it because they don't seek it the right way. You know, our world is seeking knowledge. But they're getting dumber and dumber. Because they're seeking it through man, through humanism. The source of all knowledge is God. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, Proverbs says. How can we have more learning I mean, remember when school was just for rich kids and college was just for, I don't remember that either, but I mean, it, what, that was our society at one time. When you had to spend long hours reading books in the library to get knowledge. 
We have knowledge at our fingertips today. You can Google anything, get answers, I mean, just within seconds. We are drowning in knowledge, and we're getting dumber and dumber, and we're like, I can't tell what a woman or a man is anymore. If you pretend to be a woman and you're a man, all we got to say you're a woman. What if I'm Batman? We're so dumb today. We're so dumb today. We are drowning in knowledge, and we're drowning, we're, we're dumb. Because we're seeking it the wrong place. We're seeking it in man, and man is dumb. God is the source of knowledge. Remember, it was, it was mankind that uttered those wonderful thoughts. Hmm, I can be like God. That sounds good. Let me eat this fruit. A scorner seeks wisdom, but doesn't find, they don't find it. Knowledge is easy to those who have understanding. Those who love God, knowledge is easy. I can tell a man from a woman. Real easy. The scorner looks and goes, hmm, could be either way. Wisdom comes from God. He only gives it to the humble and the meek. The proud get dumber because the proud cannot receive wisdom from God. Verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. A few applications of this verse here. I made a mistake not numbering my pages. I'm lost in my notes. A few applications. When disputing with unbelievers, this is a good piece of wisdom here. Verse 7. Go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. I'm going to exclude uh, Max III over there from this because he loves to debate people, even those who are hopeless. This is general. This is for everybody else, Max. You, you just kind of sing a song for a minute, okay? He's good at it too, by the way, so that's okay. Debate has a certain place. There are times when unbelievers are either arguing for fun or trying to distract you or demonstrate that they are unteachable. In such cases, turn away. Move on. I don't mind answering honest questions about the gospel or how evangelizing. But there comes a certain point where you just have to tell people, just move. I had a guy at the park just the other day. Wanted to tell me that Christians can be demon-possessed and Judas was a Christian and all these things and lost his salvation and I spent a few minutes with him but after a while I saw that no matter what I said he didn't care I told him I said just go get lost so we have something we're doing here you don't want any part of this that's fine move along there comes a certain point Christian even with you're witnessing the family and friends where they're unteachable don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Don't do that. Don't waste your time. You can start listening again, Max. There are people who come into your life who only want to argue with you. They like controversy and they like drama. Don't give it to them. I learned a lesson a few years ago. You're, you don't have to attend every argument you're invited to. There are people in our lives who are just ignorant, selfish people who will never learn no matter how much you tell them the truth. So we stopped telling them. We tried. 
There comes a point where you should say, they're not going to listen. Let's find somebody who will. Another application is keeping company with fools. Don't do that. Because foolishness is contagious. You're more likely to learn their foolishness than they, than they are your wisdom. I get so sick of people. I'm going to be friends with them so I can win them to Jesus. That almost never happens. I mentioned, uh, I think it was last Sunday night, a week before that, about a friend of ours, well, a guy we knew, I don't know if I say friend, but had his friend was on meth. And he said, I'm going to become real good friends with him. I'm, I'm going to get him off that stuff. And he got on that stuff. He lost his career. He lost his family. His wife divorced him. And today, he's a little mentally slow, the effects of the drugs. He was a sharp young man before that. Foolishness is contagious. As it says in verse 7, go from the presence of a foolish man when thou perceivest not in him the lips of knowledge. I did some of the dumbest things in my life trying to impress fools. I wanted them to like me so bad. The problem was I didn't like me. <laughs> I wanted them to like me. As I tell the story a lot, most of those people today are dead. I'm 41. They were my age. A lot of them are dead because of the life choices they made. I wanted, to be, I wanted to impress them so bad. I wanted to be like them so bad. I look now and I think, what a fool. What a fool. And I'm so thankful the Lord rescued me from that folly. I'm not here tonight standing here preaching because I'm better than them. I'm here tonight because the Lord has been gracious and merciful and kind to a foolish young man. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. The prudent man understands his way or the way which he's walking. A prudent man is aware of his surroundings. So another way of saying it is that he's familiar with the area in which he's walking. I'm, just trying to, I'm trying to, in my head, work through it. The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, the way he's going. But the folly of fools is deceit. It deceives them. Ephesians 5.15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What would that mean, to walk circumspectly? Be cautious, right? Looking around. Know where you're going. Know your surroundings. That's what a wise person does. To be on the lookout for pitfalls, temptations, and things that would draw you off the path. The Christian life is not something we walk through carefree, but cautiously. There are a million temptations, a million pitfalls, and a million people wanting to distract you from the way of righteousness. Don't walk carelessly through life. Walk deliberately. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Get up every morning and be righteous on purpose. Be holy on purpose. Serve God on purpose. Love God on purpose. Don't leave it to mere chance or circumstance. Purpose to serve Christ. This morning we talked about surrendering, right? I'm not asking anybody to surrender for the next 10 years of their life. Max knows what I'm talking about. We talked about this morning, these churches that have these little 10-year-old boys come and surrender to preach. 
As if at 10 years old, God wants them to surrender their whole life and know exactly what he has for them. I'm going to be a missionary to Mongolia. They never go. They're 10. God doesn't want us to surrender our whole lives. He wants us to surrender, what was it? Sunday, August 6th. Yeah. I got the date right this time. Yeah. Surrender Sunday, August 6th. Then tomorrow, get up and surrender Monday, August 7th. And then Tuesday. And then Wednesday. Purpose. Be purposeful about the Christian life. Don't walk through life like a fool. The prudent man understands his way. It's dangerous, it's treacherous, and it's hard. Be on guard. Because there are people who want to destroy your Christian testimony. Verse 9. Now let me finish verse 8. I'm sorry. The folly of fools is deceit. The fool, the fool deceives others and himself. Sin by its nature is deceitful, by the way. All those people, right? I saw some of those pictures. You guys saw some of the pictures that Tatsuo took? He's preaching at the concert. Girls flipping them off. People rolling their eyes, walking by. They all think they know better than him. They all think they're on the right. This is the right way. Follow the trends. Follow the popularity. Follow the styles. Follow the world. We're so much smarter than that weirdo preaching over there. They are deceived. And Christian, if we, when we meddle in sin, we're deceived too. Sin has deceived us into thinking it's going to reward us somehow. And the end thereof are the ways of death. Don't be deceived. Sin promises fun and reward, and in the end it robs you. Only a fool falls for its wiles. Verse 9, fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Let me give you two applications of this great verse. The first is that fools make a mock at sin. They mock its consequences. They mock doing it. I, I'm... I watch these videos. I have a lot of street preacher friends on Facebook, so I see all these videos of these people reaching out at abortion clinics and women dressing up like fairies and witches and making a mock at sin. They're fools. I go to Super Bowl is famous for this. People mocking. We went to a lot of Super Bowls outreaches during the time that the Patriots were winning a lot of Super Bowls. And every year you'd see the signs while you're preaching. We have a God. His name is Tom Brady. Mocking God. Mocking God. They get a, they, some, some of you bring a, a cardboard cutout of Tom Brady and people get down and bow down to it. And bow down to it. Why? They're mocking us? No, they're mocking Christ. They have no problem with us. It's Christ. They have a, if we were saying anything else out there, they'd be fine with us. It's Christ they're mocking. Fools make a mock at sin. Another implication in the original language is that sin mocks the fool. It mocks him by its empty promises. Every one of those people out there in the world today who think they're knowledgeable, they think they're smart, they think they're on the right path, they're deceived, and sin is mocking them. One day, when they stand before Christ, they will know their foolishness. They will bow the knee and declare Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. They have been deceived. They are the fool. Among the righteous, there is favor. This means, of course, the favor of God. A few thoughts I want to give you under this. The righteous, let me say this right. Let me quote the verse right. 
but among the righteous there is favor. The favor doesn't come because they're righteous. They're righteous because of the favor of God. Understand that. If you're saved here today, you're saved because God is gracious and kind and merciful. We love him because he first loved us. He didn't love us in response to our love. We love him in response to his. The righteous don't earn God's favor. They're righteous because they have it. God doesn't wait for us to mess up and punish us. You understand the Bible says he doesn't count our sins against us. Now, he can discipline us, but it's never retributive. It's never to get back at us for doing wrong. It's to correct us. The righteous have the favor of God. You and I, if you're saved, will never walk in God's disfavor. God cannot be more pleased with you than he is right now because you're in his son There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ. There's no judgment against us. Verse 10. The heart knoweth his own bitterness, and a stranger doth not intermeddle with his joy. Although the bitterness of a person's heart may be seen in outward demeanor only, the person knows its depths. When your heart is broken, no one can share in the pain or bitterness with you. They can't even fully sympathize with you. Only you know the pain of your heart. Only you know the depth of that pain. They can shed tears alongside you, but they cannot feel what you feel. Likewise, they cannot share your joy either. And the emphasis of this word would imply spiritual joy. When you're spiritually joyful, when you're experiencing revival, you ever, felt, had, you ever had a personal revival? I have, where like nobody else is touched by it but you. And nobody can understand why you're so joyful in Christ. They, they can't understand. Because it's not in the depths of their soul. Just like they can't know the depth of your grief. They can't know the depths of the joy of Christ in a personal revival. They can laugh with you and rejoice with you and cheer you on. But no one outside of you can know what that inner work is doing. What does this mean? The only person that we can and should turn to in times of grief and joy is Christ alone. Only he can know the depths of the hurt or the joy in our hearts. Only Christ. When you're hurting, yes, seek help. Yes, call me, let's talk. Or call my wife or call another Christian. But we can't. We can't know what you're experiencing in your hurt or your loss. But Christ knows. He can fully sympathize with you. Whatever you're suffering, he can suffer it right along with you. He can bear the burden right along with you. When there's joy in your heart, take it to Christ. He can joy along with you in a way that nobody else can. Whether in joy or in sadness, be quick to commune with Christ and share all of it with him. Quick application and we're done. Quick challenge, I should say. Build your home up. Don't tear it down, Christian. You do both with your attention or your inattention. Number two, if you love Christ, keep his commandments. To walk in sin is to despise Christ and his law. Psalm 119.65 says, Great peace have they which love thy law. You want great peace? Love the law of God. 
Number three, walk circumspectly. Be on guard in your Christian life. Number four, fools mock sin, and fools are mocked by sin. Favor comes from the Lord. If you have it tonight, thank him for it. It's undeserved. Number five, Christ knows the depths of our sadness and the fullness of our joy. Commune often with Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you tonight for this time together, for these Proverbs, how rich they are, how I'm loving this, this wonderful time in this book. Help us to apply these Proverbs to our lives. Help us to meditate upon them, to, to walk in the wisdom that you give us, to shun the foolishness of the fool, and draw us nearer to Christ tonight. Lord, we love you. You've been so gracious to us, so kind to us. Make our little church here a city on a hill, shining brightly the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't care how dark it is out there. The light of the world is Jesus. Help us to walk in him. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.